So hello, my name is Kieran Hunt. I'm the current municipal manager with Asplund's technical services department, although I'm very soon moving into Asplund's digital and geospatial department. So I'll be playing with technology a little more soon. I've been with Asplund for just shy of five years, started out in the field and worked my way up into the office. Uh, hey, uh, my name's Steve Hilbert. I'm the current general manager of technical services for Asplund Tree Expert Company. I've been with the company for just over three years now in, in this role and uh, got started in this industry about 20 years ago or so. Yes, I'm Jeff Kempter. I've been with Osplund for 33 years and I started out uh, hired into the Osplund Municipal Division and they moved me to California where I became a certified arborist. And I, I rode the tour to trees and I met a lot of influential people. And uh, one of them promoted me to uh, a position at corporate in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. And I worked there for really the, the last 30 years or so. Uh, <clears throat> I am now based in Michigan, but I'm still a corporate employee. And I've been supporting field operations as the manager of technical services for the past 30 years. It's been a great ride. At awesome. Thank you all for the introduction. And one question I like to ask everybody, you know, their first time on the podcast is how did you, each of you get into tree care? Because like, it's not usually something that most people plan to end up in. So I don't know if that was your, your plan for each of you, or if it's, you had other uh, career ideas before you got into the industry. When I was in college, I switched majors a lot of times. I kind of bounced around between teaching and physical therapy and psychology. I, I had a lot of interests and I landed on wanting to be outside and wanting to be in nature. And so Rutgers University has an excellent ecology program in the study of natural systems. So I moved into the ecology program. And as soon as I got there and started my coursework, I was positive that this is where I belonged. And I originally thought the people in the ecology department kind of split up between animal people and plant people. And the animal people were tended to focus on a very specific animal or ecosystem, whereas the plant people seemed to have a lot more mobility to move around between projects. Because no matter what type of project you're doing in natural systems, you almost always have to start with the ground, the soil and the plants, before you can move into things that move around like animals. So I figured I'd have more options in the plant world. So I focused on trees and plants in college, got really into trees, TA the dendrology to, uh, class there, and just fell in love with dendro and tree ID and tree care and arboriculture. And towards the end of my college career, while I was thinking I'd go into traditional forestry or something, I was offered an internship as a consultant up in the new, northern New Jersey and New York City metropolitan area, basically inventorying and evaluating urban trees. And I had to sort of make a decision about whether I wanted to be in urban forestry or traditional forestry. And uh, I decided that I'd rather be around people and how they interface with plants than be in the woods proper, which I already do a lot of in my free time. So I opted for urban forestry and that consulting job gave me so much good information and knowledge about how to care for trees, how to identify tree problems, and how to remediate those. And that was an excellent base for me to build upon. 
as I moved into other urban forestry roles. And when I got licensed as a tree expert in New Jersey, Asplund reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come on board in the field planning work. So similarly, I was evaluating and assessing trees, but I was prescribing work to mitigate conflicts between trees and utilities. And that's how I got into the utility tree care industry. I did some work planning like that, running crews, responding to storms for Asplund for about two years before they asked me to come into the home office. Uh, I got started in tree care um, after I got my degree in forestry from Penn State. Uh, similarly to Kieran, I got about seven eighths away through my degree and realized I really didn't want to be stomping around the woods cruising timber. And at that point in my life, it brought me back to the Philadelphia metro area. And with a degree in forestry, there's not a whole lot of continuous forests uh, in the five county Philadelphia area. So I found myself interviewing with uh, tree care companies doing residential and commercial work and uh, landed a job that was uh, relatively close to where I was living at that point in time, um, you know, because I didn't have a car. I thought I was riding my bike to work every day. So basically it was uh, finding a company that was close enough where I could actually uh, do that. And as time progressed, I uh, worked for that company for uh, a number of years doing residential commercial work, did a little bit of work for the uh, Department of Environmental Protection, uh, I've uh, worked as a forester as well for a transmission forester for utility. And over the course of time, um, between doing residential and commercial, I've climbed trees, run buckets, uh, sprayed pesticides, uh, done, done all those types of applications, uh, implemented integrated pest management in uh, people's landscapes, uh, worked uh, applying herbicides as well as part of IVM programs, and uh, found my way to Aspen uh, in 2019. Uh, back to the utility sector uh, as the uh, uh, manager for technical services here. And it kind of culminates a lot of my interest and passions in the tree care industry with this role, mainly because um, I get to learn more about the uh, tree care industry as a whole, but it also gives me an opportunity to educate and train our field employees about the tree care industry. From my standpoint, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be outdoors. I was really into camping. I was really into backpacking, canoeing, hiking, you know, bicycling, whatever it took. And that was, that's what made, it, made me happy. And so when I went to University of Michigan, I majored in resource management, which took me into the field a fair amount. And I was able to spend a fair, a fair amount of time outdoors and learning, I always find is best when you're out there doing it. So that, that's really, it really excited me. And it took me a while to settle down. I, I spent a lot of time outdoors in my 20s. And by the time I got to pushing 30, I, I realized I had to get a real job. So uh, I, I, I found a job at Ostland and they hired me sort of on a wing and a prayer thinking, okay, here's a, here's a person with a degree with some knowledge and resource management. Um, you can write a complete sentence. So they put me to work and, and I worked basically um, trying to find work for our crews uh, in unusual areas. So municipal contracts, small contracts, um, large landscape contracts that we wouldn't normally bid on, those kinds of things. And it turned out to be a pretty good road for me. And like I say, I rode the Tour de Trees. Uh, again, got outside. It was brilliant. And uh, I met a lot of important people on that ride. And, and I wound up getting into the corporate office. And it took me 
ironically, away from field operations, although we still support field operations, but I, I wound up spending a lot more time indoors than I perhaps really wanted to. But that was okay. As you get older, you need to spend more time indoors. Eventually, uh, it, it's, it's gone full circle. You know, I, I feel like um, the, 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 the company, the career has, has, has taken me all the way around but what, what it got, it gets you into urban forestry. Utility arboriculture is urban forestry. And that's a, a very important aspect of utility arboriculture. People think, oh, it's just cutting trees away from wires, but it's far more than that. It's managing an incredibly valuable resource. Uh, and there's thousands of people that are doing this work. And I'm really excited to be a part of it and to have been able to train so many people and be a part of, of developing their careers. Awesome. Thank you. And I want to touch base on what utility arboriculture is and that, you know, stuff first, but I want to kind of come back to something that you all had kind of echoed in what brought you to, you know, urban forestry was it's a people aspect and a people thing. You know, one of the questions we have down is what's special about the job and tree care versus the other, you know, other parts of the industry. But I feel like you have all answered it that the people really is what uh, drew you to this aspect of tree care, as well as the love of trees and stuff like that. But it's it's kind of a, a twofold, a twofold thing that brought you here. Utility arboriculture, for me, really hits a sweet spot between being able to manage natural resources and being able to interface with people. I love uh, educating people and talking about why the tree needs to be pruned, what's up there on that pole. How do we make them work together or exist together in the same space in a way that doesn't kill the tree or doesn't do something that's super detrimental to the tree's health or structure? We got to be able to manage these resources because they're both essential to our way of life. So it's it was just really fun for me in the field to go out and go, yeah, I spent some time just going door to door, just knocking on doors and just having these conversations with strangers off the cuff. Here's that tree that's in front of your property, and here's what we need to do to make sure that it stays healthy and happy and doesn't get set on fire by a high-voltage power line, and also to make sure that you don't lose power when storms come around, because you know, or, or just from the tree growing into the conductor. It was really fun to have those conversations, because a lot of people had pretty strong opinions one way or the other. I got a lot of, I wish you'd cut that tree down, and I got a lot of, I wish you wouldn't touch that tree ever. I wish you'd take the wires down. And it was really fun to come to this uh, compromise and a place where everybody could move forward with understanding and, and be okay with the work that was going to be done. I think one thing that a lot of people do not realize is how interconnected our power grid is. You know, the second that we flip on a light switch, that power has to be generated somewhere in our country. It's, it, it, there's really no great way to store electricity. Uh, there's batteries that are getting... A little bit more prevalent, but there is some complexities in tying those into our electric grid. And they said most people don't understand that the second I flip on my cell phone, if it's plugged in, my computer, turn my computer lights, everything, that power has to be generated somewhere in this country. And that's how fast electrons move at the speed of light. And a lot of people don't realize that cell phones and those cell phone towers, technology is getting better, but a lot of times they only have a, sh a limited amount of backup power in order to operate. So some it's 24, 48 hours. So if we have an extended power outage, a lot of people aren't, are not going to be able to communicate anymore. So I know 
personally, I've not had a landline phone in probably 10 years. You know, I rely on my cell phone as my primary communication device and the, and the landlines, they don't need electricity to run, run off of, but our cell phones do in order to ping those towers. And this interface between trees and power lines and even going as far back as one of the first telegraph cables were strong in this country has been an ongoing debate for over a hundred years. So to be a part of this industry, to be you know not only an advocate to make sure that modern life happens, but also to to be an advocate for the natural resource of the trees is pretty fulfilling. For me, utility arboriculture coming from the municipal side, uh, I sort of made the connection right away that if you try to define utility arboriculture, you could just say that pruning trees for any human utilitarian purpose. Uh, is pretty much utility arboriculture. You think about pruning for lines of sight, which utility arborists do around power lines. People need to inspect the lines, but it's also a utilitarian purpose when you're talking about being able to see a traffic light or a street sign or allowing the, the street light to, to reach the, the pavement so that it's not being blocked by the trees. Um, if you're pruning away from trains or um, traffic, that's all utilitarian purposes. So it all, the point being is it all sort of falls into the same types of practices. You prune, you prune these branches or you remove these trees because they're posing too much risk to something that's important to us, whether it's the power line, whether it's the road, whether it's the line of sight, whether it's the train tracks. So all of these things are utility arboriculture. And so when you start to look at it that way, you realize how much common ground you have between the, the objectives of municipal arborists, private arborists, or so-called utility line clearance arborists. They're really, most of us are using the same technique, techniques and practices to accomplish some utilitarian purpose. So that's one of the things that turns me on about utility arboriculture and municipal arboriculture and urban forestry in general. Yeah, and I kind of want to back up to talk a little bit more about uh, the work that Asplund does, because I know of Asplund as the people who, because I'm from the Northeast, you know, I'm from New Hampshire, the people who come around immediately after this winter storms come and, you know, take care of everything that way in the trees and stuff like that. You know, I only really know of what Asplund does in the times of storms. Otherwise, I feel like I never see a truck anywhere. So I guess... um there's a lot to cover, but try to nut, nutshell it. What kind of work does Asplen do? Asplen does utility vegetation management. We, we do other things besides utility vegetation management, but what we're best known for is managing vegetation around infrastructure. So not just trees, that could be managing rights of way. So if you have high voltage transmission power lines, the ones that are on those big towers moving through the landscape, we also manage the vegetation beneath those we do our best to work with our customers to maintain compatible ecosystems under those power lines through integrated vegetation management. We try to establish low growing, early successional type sort of, sort of meadow type habitats underneath those power lines that don't have tall growing woody vegetation that would grow up into those high voltage conductors. So we do that sort of vegetation management as well along with the kind of stuff that's a little bit more visible, stuff that people see a little more commonly, where we go down the road or along the backyards, wherever the pole-to-pole -pole distribution power lines are within a municipality or along road, county roads, throughout our neighborhoods, all of these power lines that are servicing our houses, we go through, we make sure that there's enough clearance 
distance between those tree branches and the conductors so that they can coexist peacefully without any shorts happening. That's a sort of in a nutshell, most of the bread and butter of our vegetation management work is around those those activities. I'll let you guys elaborate on some of the oh, other. No. Oh no, well well said. And you know, one one point I may uh, fail to mention is a lot of folks don't know exactly how much power is in those wires over our head that we drive under every single day. You know, there's uh, thousands of volts of power in order to balance that grid out in order to make sure that when we turn that light switch on, that the light does come on. And we need to make sure that those, that vegetation is clear from those wires, not only to keep the lights on, but also for people's safety as well. Because since there is so much power that goes through those power lines, there is the possibility that a tree touching a wire could become live, meaning it could become electrified. And if you were to touch that tree, you could have you know, physical harm. So there is, there is an imperative need to make sure that the that the vegetation is clear from those power lines, you know, purely on a safety aspect, not, not let alone making sure that I can turn my light on in the morning. To sort of define Osplen's role in the marketplace, it, it is a company that completely focuses on the utility uh, industry. So it has positioned itself to serve the utility industry, whether it's on the infrastructure side, building poles and building stringing wires, that sort of thing, or more importantly, and for the core business, managing the vegetation around these facilities. Um, so it, there's very little work that Osplen does in outside of that sector. A little bit of municipal work um, and some government roadside work, but in general, the company focuses on large-scale commercial contracts, especially in the utility industry. The, the focus in general is to prevent interference and prevent, prevent outages. And that's usually done, as Kieran pointed out, by uh, providing clearance from the wires or, in the case of transmission lines, managing the ecosystems underneath the wires. And they're very, very different scopes of work. So if, if you're talking about pruning vegetation around wires and removing trees away from the, that are threatening wires, that's one set of skills. That's arboriculture. And if you're talking about managing vegetation underneath power lines, uh, especially transmission lines, you're managing ecosystems. And that's in a completely separate set of tools and especially skills. So those are th definitely things to consider when looking at the scope of utility vegetation management. There's a lot for me to unpack here. So, um, so uh, strictly with utility arboriculture, is there a specific type of person that should be getting into utility arboriculture versus, you know, um, just standard urban forestry? Because I don't, for me, trying to figure out, you know, the career pathing of how you end up in a career like this is, um, I mean, the three of you have such varied backgrounds that it makes it hard to say like, well, here's the things you need to do. But kind of if, if uh, you know, a student wants to end up in this sort of field, uh, do they need a degree? If so, like what kind of things should they be studying? And just kind of like how, how can a student get into something like this? The tree care industry is super exciting in general. Whether you're in utility arboriculture or if you go into a non-utility sector, if tree care excites you, then you should find your place in tree care. You don't need to have a degree. 
to be an arborist. You don't need to have a degree to get into Asplund or into other non-utility sectors of tree care. Having a degree, especially in a natural resource management related field, can help open up doors for other opportunities within the field. But in general, anybody is welcome if they're excited about utility arboriculture. And specifically in the utility sector, if it excites you to be in this position to help make society work by helping to clear these trees away from these conductors that we all need for our electricity. That sort of work is, is it's critical to the functioning of our society. There are a lot of opportunities in tree care to do things that are important for other aspects of society, whether that's maintaining trees around structures, maintaining trees in the woods, doing more um, like botanical related stuff, you know, managing gardens and things like that that are a little bit more for aesthetics and for like quality of life type stuff. But if you are excited about helping to make society work and to keep our lives functioning the way that, that we like them to be with our refrigerators and our cell phones and all of our devices that we turn on every day. Then, and if, and if it excites you to be around power lines and to be in this interface between people and nature and utilities, then I think that you should consider, strongly consider a job in utility arboriculture. I think one thing that separates utility arboriculture uh, than the residential commercial end is uh, a little bit of the scale. So a lot of the times, at least in my experience, the residential commercial end of arboriculture, you know, you're, you're in an office that may be, um, you know, 15 or 20 folks, you might have you know, your, your four persons and maybe one general four person and then a team of salespeople who are kind of running the operational end of things. Whereas in utility of culture, there's a, a few different layers there. And so, you know, you work your way up from ground person to, to trimmer to maybe equipment operator. And then we have this managerial layer called general four person. And they usually run a team of maybe 15 to 20 individuals who work under them. So in essence, a general four person is, is running their own, you know, little tree care company uh, almost without having to do the sales uh, end, of, end of it. They can solely focus on the operational end of running, basically running a business. And, and to Jeff's point where he said that, you know, he spent, you know, about the first 10 years of his career uh, running around outside and then he hit about 30. Uh, that's it's about the time frame where or, or sooner depends on the person where they start stepping into uh, higher leadership roles. And that general four person is that higher leadership role where you kind of step away from the chainsaw, you step away from the ropes, and you're learning those managerial skills to further your career. Whereas with the residential commercial, um, you know, a lot of people do very, very well for themselves in that sales role. But if they want to look to develop more leadership uh, skills, you know, the utility vegetation um, industry offers that for them because they can, you know, step up from a general four, per, four, four person into a supervisor and, uh, and then up into a regional manager and, and lead themselves up into, uh, you know, even more executive positions. There's been, you know, many people at Asplund who start off uh, raking brush and are now uh, region managers for some of the biggest regions in this country. So that's, that's kind of the uh, career path and opportunities that utility vegetation management can provide. Yeah, I would echo those comments and, and point out that, especially on the uh, utility vegetation management side, there are some pretty large companies, relatively large companies that, that are involved with providing this service, as opposed to and, um, the 
commercial side, there's lots of very small companies. And that 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 can both both be an opportunity, opportunity or a hindrance. If you want to build your own business and, and run your own show, um, commercial arboriculture gives you an opportunity to build a small company and, and run it. But utility arboriculture is a business and it's a big business. <clears throat> it's a $10 billion national market. And there's a lot of room for people to develop a career in, in that scope. We've, we've heard about being a general four person, being a field operative, being <clears throat> um, a, a pre-inspection person, a public contact person, a, a person who plans and prescribes work, a person who executes the work, a person who oversees all of this. Um, there's lots of opportunity and there's lots of different kinds of jobs uh, in this field that, uh, that can get people excited. No, thank you all for the perspective on that. It helps you know, really start to clarify some, some key differences and, you know, depending on the person where they may want to end up. But one thing I want to bring up and I kind of want to transition a little bit is I want to transition to uh, the soft skills about how to get these said positions. You guys are all people, people, persons. That doesn't sound right, but you know, um, and you know, specifically networking is a really important skill that a lot of people don't develop until they kind of fall into their first role. And depending on where they fall for their first role, they may not get it, you know, until three or four years down the line. So as somebody who is, you know, a first time job seeker, how do you, how do you network? What is, what does networking look like in its most uh, basic sense? So networking in a nutshell is learning about other people. And when you learn about learn things about other people, you can um, help them out. And by helping people out, you can ultimately uh, essentially help yourself. And, and that, that being is, you know, you're not, someone's not going to give you something, you know, unless you ask. And they're probably not going to give you something if you don't know something about them. And that's what the most important part of networking is. You know, when, when you're here at, um, when you're there at TCIA Expo, you know, that's a, a pretty good opportunity to network with people. And one of the most fascinating things about people is that the more that you can um, get them to talk about themselves, the more that they're going to like you. So, you know, some of the simplest things that I use if I find myself in social situations where, um, you know, I want to try to get to know someone, use the acronym FORD. And that's uh, you ask them questions about their family, their occupation, their recre recreation and, and dream. And, and likewise, it gives you an opportunity to, uh, with asking those questions, to allow you to talk to the other person and, the, and tell them who you are. And over the course of time, that's the way you kind of develop these relationships. You find out, you know, you know, find out about people, about what they like, what they don't like, and um, you know, build build friendships as well. So it's one of the, the important parts of of networking. It's it's just not strictly a, a business aspect. There's always a, a some of a friendship aspect to it as well. You know, many times when I go back to conferences that I haven't been to in a year, there's people I only see about, a, you know, once every year, maybe once every two years, depending on the schedule, once every three years now with COVID. Uh, it's, it's a friendship that's still there. I can go, you know, go, go to them, talk to them, go out to dinner with them and pick up kind of right where we left off. And that's one of the, the, the great things I would say about the tree care industry is that we all, all relative a, a common, um, common like of being outside of doing tree work, 
You know, if you don't like doing tree work, you're not going to last very long in this industry. So we all like, really like doing tree work. And we all really like talking about doing tree work and sharing so stories and things like that. And that's just part of that, that building of that friendship and that building of that friendship can lead to those networking opportunities as well. You know, if you, if you want to, you know, move away from, from where you are now and that person works for another, another company, you call them up and say, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about moving to you know, this part of the country. You work for this company. Do you have any opportunities coming up? And that just doesn't, you just don't pick up the phone and start cold calling people and asking for those types of opportunities. That's where that friendship and network networking comes um, into fruition for you is, is if you decide that you want a different opportunity or, or move to a different part of the country, you can call on those folks and, and they might be able to point you in the right direction. And that's why networking is so important is, is, is not only just developing those friendships, but it also creates opportunity as well. This networking can be very intimidating, especially if you're a young person or if you're in a situation where you really don't know many of the people, you're, you're stepping into a situation that's uh, unusual for you. It can be very intimidating. And especially if you're introverted, you think, I just don't want to deal with that. But one of the problems with not dealing with that is that you don't meet those people that can change your life or, or, or give you huge opportunities. And likewise, even if you're extroverted, you still need to know how to talk to other people, how to listen to other people. And so I, I think one of the most important things about networking is listening. So you make an introduction you get a conversation going or somebody introduces themselves to you and gets a conversation going. And then you're listening, listen very carefully to what that person is saying and, and recognize some common ground or some things you might be curious about or something you want to know more about and ask them that question. And then listen again. And pretty soon they're gonna be asking you questions and you're gonna be expounding about you. And the first thing you know, you've got a relationship. And stepping outside that shell and making that connection is one of the most intimidating things you can do. And sometimes it's, it's a bitter failure. You wind up talking to another introvert and, and you're both kind of staring at the floor going, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And that's but where we're- um, Step right back in. Yeah, asking uh, open-ended question helps. You know, if you, if you ask a question of, oh, you know, do you live in this city? It's just, oh, yes, I do. It's like, you know, you can you offer a little bit more open-ended questions when you're developing these relationships. It, it allows the person to um, explain or expound on what they're saying. So, oh, you live, you know, in the Northeast and they can go on to, you know, about the city they live in and where they live and why they like it and, you know, what's so great about it and, and so on and so forth. I'll just add, I feel like you guys covered it pretty well. The only thing I have to add is, if you're putting yourself in these situations like TCIA Expo, where you're going to be around a bunch of potential employers, it's a good idea to have some elevator talks put together, basically a little 60 seconds spiel about yourself. Practice that 60 second talk about you and what you're looking for, what you're hoping to pursue career-wise. Have that ready to go, especially if you're not comfortable speaking in extemporaneously or on the spot. Have a couple of talking points ready to go when you're talking with potential employers. Put yourself out there alone. If you're visiting these booths in groups, it's gonna be harder 
for anybody to remember one person out of the group. It's also going to be harder for you. It's going to be easier for you to be closed off and sort of interacting or participating as a unit with your group. If you put yourself out there alone, you're going to have to show who you are and be directly engaged with the people who you're speaking with. So if you're at TCI Expo with friends or with fellow students or coworkers, and you're looking to get outside your comfort zone and get to know people and put yourself out there, I suggest that you split up. You know, let's meet up in an hour, but for now I'm gonna go talk to people on my own. And again, just like Jeff and Steve said, asking them about themselves. So asking questions about the job, if you're not sure what to say, ask, and you probably, even if you do have stuff to say, if you're looking for a job, it's really important that you ask your potential employers about the job. What's it like working for you? What's, what are the career advancement opportunities at your company? How long do people typically stay? What's your turnover rate? You know, ask all of these different questions about the company and what it's like to work for them and what it's like to stay with them. What keeps people in the company? Why do people stay in that company for so long? If you're, at, if you're speaking with somebody who's representing the company and they've been with that company for 10, 15, 20 years, ask them why they've stayed so long and how they got to where they are. So not only asking about themselves personally, which is really critical, if you're really interested in the job, get to know those people, not just whatever job they occupy, but the person behind the job. And then get to know what you're getting yourself into. It's going to help you to get to know the tree care industry better as a whole, even if you don't take any of those jobs. It's going to make you stand out as somebody who's really interested. And it's going to get you a good idea of what direction you're trying to go. Yeah, I like all those points. And, you know, the, the next question is, after starting the network, maintaining that network, you know, what normally happens next? And, you know, not to single you out, Jeff, but you're talking about going to Tour de Trees and doing that kind of networking thing and ending up in the corporate headquarters, I think it's kind of the perfect example of what happens when you start to build your network up. You put yourself out there and you do those kind of things um, to show really that, you know, networking is worth something and it's not just small talk with random people. So true. And, and I, you know, not everybody can ride the tour to trees, but there's a tour to trees around every corner. You know, the, you, you just need to open the door and make something happen. And, and that's, that's really the, the, the foundation of networking is, is reaching out and making that connection and you know, taking a deep breath and saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. And it's, not, it's never easy, but it's very important. And you know, one thing to remember about networking, it's more like, like farming than hunting. You, you know, with farming, you plant the seed. And then over the course of a season, you know, the, the crop grows, then you're able to finally harvest the crop. Whereas hunting, you just kind of point and shoot and, you know, get your food. Uh, network is definitely about farming. You have to cultivate that relationship. You have to, you know, have more inputs into that relationship than you would otherwise. You know, you could almost think of networking as like a mini part-time job. Um, you know, it's, it, it definitely takes effort. It takes work to do it. It takes diligence and, uh, you know, a schedule to make sure that, you know, with networking, you are reaching out to people and just saying, hey, how's it going? You know, how's your day going? And that goes a long way in that cultivation effort. Then, um, you know, just all of a sudden, you know, randomly picking up the phone and hoping someone will pick up. Yeah. Putting yourself out there is a great way to get out there. Just putting yourself in the situations 
where you have the opportunities to meet people, whether it's being at things like TCI Expo, joining events like the Tour de Trees, finding stuff that's a little more local to you. If you can find opportunities to put yourself in situations where you are there around the people who you're trying to be associated with, it's going to be hard not to eventually get to know some people and get known. Yeah. And start, that's the start of what I want to ask next, but what kind of tips do you have for somebody who's interested in the tree care industry and wants to turn it into a career? I think networking is probably a big one because that's one way you can keep it a career, but what kind of other things can you do to make sure you have a a long lasting multi-year career? Part of it is making a, some kind of a commitment. There's a gig economy right now. People, well, what kind of gig are you? I'm going to be a barista for a while, but you know, then I've tried this, I've tried that at some point. And this is, you know, I've sort of predated all this back in the eighties. I was, you know, doing my own gigs for quite a while. And, and it was, it served me well, but at some point you make that commitment and you say, okay, it's time to look to the future, to build something that's going to last where, and and it's more than just making a commitment to a company. It is making a commitment, commitment to yourself, to your future, to your economic well-being. You know, do I have a 401k? Do I have a retirement plan? I'm, I'm 30 years old now, you know, 10 years went by like that. You know, what, what am I going to be doing another 10 years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? Uh, and do I, do I want to be just floating from thing to thing? Or do I want to be committed to something and making something happen for me? And in the process of making something happen for you, you're making something happen for the people you're working for and working with. So you become a part of that team. You become a part of that effort. And the first thing you know, you're building a life for yourself. I think one of the um, um, challenges with the tree care industry is that is, you know, in order to be a good leader, you need to kind of understand the nuts and bolts and operations of tree care. You know, it's, it's, like I said, some of the best leaders in our company started off breaking brush and dragging brush. It needs to have a, you know, a little bit of a knowledge of how, how the operations work from the ground up in order to be a good leader to those people who you, who ultimately who are under, uh, under your command. So, you know, the tree care industry, there is a little bit of a uh, longer um, time span to reach that, but there's a really good reason for that as well. I mean, we, the tree care industry utilizes tools and equipment that um, on the base level can be very dangerous if they're used improperly. And that takes, in order to use those tools and equipment, in order to use that properly and safely, it does take training. It does take a little bit of time in order to not only keep yourself safe, but also your coworkers as well to understand that, you know, when you're out there on a, on a crew, um, you might like, you might not like that person that day, but there's an obligation to make sure that that person goes home in one piece because there's probably someone at home that, that really does like them and really would like to see them come home in one, one piece. So that safety aspect is pretty huge. So that's why there's a little bit more time uh, than say like a, a tech startup company where someone might move very rapidly up, up the chain. And that's really for the safety of, of the employees and uh, of the employees and yourself and your coworkers as well. Yeah, jump into something that fits you, that suits you and makes you feel excitement. If you can find a job working on a tree crew from the ground up, if, if you're interested in stand, you know, in tree care in that way, getting involved from the ground up, I think that's the best way to start a, a career in tree care is to start as a ground person or somewhere involved with crews and the actual mechanical work of tree care. 
if you if you're entering the tree care industry with a degree you'll have a few more options for where you can start you can still absolutely start on a tree crew and work your way up from there but you'll have other options for things like planning work assessing trees doing consulting work there's also more and more opportunities coming up in the GIS world around tree care. So if you're interested in getting involved in technology, there are plenty of opportunities with companies like Asplund who do the type of planning and work management stuff that goes on in the GIS world. So tree care is highly location dependent and urban forestry can be done very intelligently while using the right technologies. So if you're interested in technology and geographic information systems, geospatial work, there are a lot of opportunities getting into that field as well in the tree care industry, including at Asplund. Yeah, and thank you all for the advice. And just because we're coming up on the end of our time together, I just kind of want to open it up to the three of you. Is there anything that we haven't been able to talk about that you would like to discuss? I would just add one thing about the, the art and science of tree care. And the, the beauty of a tree and the beauty of a person who is skilled at taking care of that tree. So watching a skilled climber, and if you're an athlete, if you are a person that likes to be outside, if you're a person that aspires to do things with your body and then climbing trees uh, and getting paid for it could be a very thrilling thing to do. Um, moving, watching those people moving about a tree, um, getting into the tree, and then making the decisions about how to execute the work. It really is an art and a science, and it brings all of these things, your, your physical well-being, your physical strength, um, your skill as in, in judgment, and your ability to understand the tree and the science behind it come together in the art and science of arboriculture. So I just I don't think we played that up enough in our discussion here. I guess I'll just, um, I'll, first of all, I want to echo what Jeff said. When I get out of work today, I'm going to go into the woods and climb a tree for fun. I really, that part of the industry has always appealed to me. That's why I approached the industry to begin with. I, but I also want to just take an even bigger step back. And, you know, the more I learn about trees, just the more amazed I am by trees. Trees are astonishing organisms. You know, they took this, this organism that was capable of making its own food through sunlight and water and a little bit of minerals in the soil. And it said, you know, I could do this a lot better if I was taller than all of, all of my comrades on either side of me here. Figured out a way to get really tall. And now we have these organisms populating a huge portion of our planet that, I mean, if you, when you get to know the mechanics of how trees are loaded and how much force a tree exerts upon itself just from moving around in the wind, it's astonishing. When you start climbing trees, you're learning about all this equipment and the rope and the, the saddle and the carabiners and everything's got kilonewton ratings for how strong it is, how much force it can withstand before it'll break. And when you're getting to know that equipment, you're tying it around a point in the tree, way up above your head. You can't really see it that well. And you're trusting that that piece of wood is going to support your life. And when people are getting first 
acclimated to this equipment, it can be really hard to trust your life to it. But it also can be really hard to trust your life to that piece of wood up in the canopy. And I always tell people, people have watched me climb on pretty small branches. And they'll say, like, how, how can you trust that little piece of wood? And I always say, you know, you get to know what you can trust by learning trees. And there's a lot of, there's always more to learn in climbing. But in general, when I'm up in the canopy, I cannot physically exert more force on the tree than it is already exerting upon itself. Between what gravity is doing, the weight of all of that wood up there, and just that little bit of swaying in the wind, all of that force that's occurring within the tree, I am like just a little grain of sand on that tree compared to all the stuff that's that's happening up there without me. It's pretty exciting to be riding that tree up there, feeling it moving in the wind, 60, 70, 80 feet up in the air, and then starting up a chainsaw and saying, I'm going to make this tree more compatible with the built environment around me. It's tying up a rope, making that cut, getting it to land just where you expected it to. There's... It is really an art. Jeff put it well. It's it's an art and it's a science, and there's nothing else quite like it. Now, I would say that um, you know, getting into the tree care industry, we're talking about climbing. Is you know, there's nothing else like it. You know, if you can, you know, conquer your fear. I mean, getting aloft is something that can be very scary for um, a lot of people. But as Kieran stated, you have the gear. You're responsible for it. Um, you know, you build your confidence, and if you can build that confidence and then go, you know, go higher than you ever have gone before. It's a real confidence booster and you feel like you can do pretty much anything.